Welcome to One Thought at a Time with Ian Travers, where we get curious about what makes us tick. My guest today is a person who brings a new meaning to the phrase triple threat. Welcome, Lara Small. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Not a problem. Delighted to be here. So, uh, and... Um, Depending on when this podcast goes out, uh, people won't uh, realise how maybe a challenge it was to get here through the, the, the floods and the rain that we've had in the last uh, sort of 24 hours. Google did all the work, so it wasn't too bad. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, let's settle into it by um, starting the way I would normally start here is tell us how you spend your time. Yes. OK. Um, so I, I like to describe my life in kind of a Venn diagram of, of bubbles. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've recently decided there's a fourth, so I think I'm going to go with quadruple threat. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> but I don't intend to uh, mean that in a, in a threatening way, to be fair. So uh, Lara's life is in different coloured bubbles. Uh, the first one is probably, we'll call it the big Rolls Royce bubble. So like mm. you'd argue like the corporate career mm. uh, part of it. Um, I'm also an army reservist and have been since 2005. Mm. Um, so I've been uh, been part of the Royal Engineers um, for some time now. And then obviously a huge part of that is the motorbike element yeah. of it that's been a, I would say, a golden thread yes. <laughs> through through a lot of my career. Yeah. Or oh, just life in general, to be fair. Um, and then I think that I've added the fourth bubble on today because it's become ever more paramount is, is that friends and family piece in the U bit. I, I think uh, I've I've become a bit obsessed with those three elements, but uh, become ever more connected, especially with this recent injury, that that fourth bubble is maybe the one that surrounds all those other three bubbles. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's not so much an additional bubble; it is the the one on which all the others sit. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for those uh, who are listening rather than watching this, um, Lara mentioned injury. Um, I can see her arm in a sling, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little mm. bit more. Um, <laughs> keyhole surgery about 48 hours ago. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. Are we feeling okay? We're great. Um, um, Opiate-based um, painkillers are, are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let, let's just unpack some of those. Let's just talk uh, a bit about... Um, let's talk about the corporate one, first of all. Um, so this is engineering. Yes. So tell us a bit about that, how you got into that. I think my parents would probably describe me as quite a, a, a kind of a, a kind of a I say tangible hands-on kind of child. Mm. So uh, I'd be building Lego and connects and some kind of crazy stuff all over my my bedroom. And yeah. so I've always been interested in um, the physical part of kind of engineering. Yeah. And then I was lucky enough to be born in Jersey, and there was um, an air show that that they would would be held every year. And along our uh, one of us on the south coast is a really natural amphitheater in the coastline. Okay. So a big circular kind of space in the coast. And then the Harrier jump jet along with the Red Arrows. But the Harrier was the spine tingling moment mm. where you watch it hover and bow in front of that crowd. It's just that connection with um, aerospace and the feeling of power and thrust and mm. Uh, the kind of way that makes you move or where you are moved and then tie that in with my connection with with motorbikes so the um when i was could only cycle i attached a uh, a piece of cardboard to the rear axle of my not like the rear frame of my yeah. bike so it, when the spokes went round the cardboard would catch on the spokes so i'd have a, something that sounded like a single cylinder like harley like pop 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 i'm so glad that i was not the only person to do that i used to do it with Loved um it. 
he used to collect like um, football cards. I think they were playing cards and clothes pegs. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. And I used to just ride around my estate, like just <laughs> finding it hilarious and going downhill so it would get faster. And so that that all led to um, it, I was a bit confused at GCSE and A level time. To be honest, I did GCSEs and then A levels in biology, psychology, and geography, and I just a little bit lost. Um, and I, I was due to go and do psychology at university at Manchester and I just never bit the bullet I think that right. was the first challenge of going against the travelator of obviously I, I have the um, I'm very grateful for the education my parents put me through mm. and the opportunity to go to uni yeah. um, but it didn't quite make sense uh, so I didn't didn't go and my friends kind of left and I was in Jersey to be honest working nightclubs during the evening and then sunbathing on the beach so there was let's right. say there was a pause in proceedings yes um i managed to get a job in an accountancy firm because jersey's um obviously a um an opportunity for different financial investments yes yeah. um and uh, i also worked in an insurance company and they're, they're all the kind of you know you try and figure out what career might be there and staying on the island yeah. and um eventually they become a there's a louder a voice not the loudest but a voice going okay I, th I think that isn't quite right for you yeah so I finally made the kind of the first step in making this connection towards me and engineering okay so that's what led me to to going to uni so I went to the University of the West of England in okay. Bristol mm -hmm. I had to do a foundation year so I have to make sure I count this properly so one year in foundation then two academic years okay at uni mm -hmm. Um, so then three years in, mm -hmm. then a year in industry, where okay. I was lucky enough to convince Rolls-Royce to give me that sandwich year. Right. Um, and then a further two years uh, to do my final year and my master's. Okay. So I think we've got to six years, haven't we? Right, okay. So close enough. And then that led to um, gaining a job at Rolls-Royce um, on, their, on their graduate scheme. And would that that was in, in aerospace? Yes, yeah, so yeah. Um, it was in the aero side of the business. Mm. For sure, and your um, your environment then. So, were you were you encouraged into university? You know, what what was the influence from from parents? Um, they were they're very much of the attitude of whatever makes you happy. Like it, there wasn't really particularly encouragement. the 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 desire to leave was probably um, provocated by sometimes where you live can f end up feeling a little bit too small like mm. you've kind of outgrown it and either yeah. um and i'm a lot of my friends are very contented because it's an absolutely beautiful place to live but i felt like oh, there was just a little bit more that i wanted to be part of so yeah. I'd, i can't really found a connection with the career on the island because you you're typically going to go and specialize in in yeah. finance um but no it was um i just felt like it was time to just spread your wings a bit okay so off it was then to university for a, a, a long and protracted. Mm -hmm. um, how then did the the military side appear? Yeah, so there was a, a, a brief time when I was part of the Air Cadets in, mm -hmm. in Jersey. So there's a fantastic squadron called Number 7 Overseas Squadron. Mm -hmm. And I joined there when I was like 13 or something and, right. and made that initial connection with a kind of what stuff you can fun stuff you can do with the military um and uh that that first taste of a little bit of discipline mm. um and uniform and preparedness and marching around and doing the exactly the stuff that community groups are great for in kind of developing young adolescents yeah um so that was the first connection with the military but when it really sunk in was 
um, Freshers Fair, actually. Okay. So I, I can only really conclude that I probably walked the wrong way around. Um, <laughs> and I'd, I'd potted off to what I thought would be more of a connection degree-wise with mm. the, um, the Royal Air Force. So there's something called the University Air Squadron um, okay. where you'd spend a bit more time flying. But because I was on this foundation year of like year naught of what would be six years in total... Um, they weren't, they didn't, um, didn't really let me in. They said I didn't have a full degree that you need at least two years, <laughs> two years on the back of it. Um, and then I went to the, um, officer training course. So there was a very, very exuberant officer cadet who just kind of scooped me in. Cause I was looking for something to do, mm. i.e. something sporty. Yeah. And she was like, you can get paid to do all of that. And I was like, oh, okay, sound, I would like to play hockey, please. Uh, and okay. that, that kind of led to me signing up and I don't think they checked how many <laughs> years I had to do at uni because the foundation year was like a pass or fail if you failed you'd go back home um but that resulted in me turning up to um Bristol University Officer Training Corps and I started um doing we, we do Wednesdays basically Wednesday afternoons and uh, and weekends um running around in a field right <laughs> um so so officer training then yes. um so then tell me tell me how that went. So cuz now am I right in thinking that you're is it major? Within? I am. Okay. Yeah, I am. So wow, what a journey. So tell tell us a bit about that journey. I'd really love to actually. Yeah. There's um there's uh, a first yeah, major 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 life lesson actually in in what the army's taught me and I'm so grateful. Mm. So grateful. Um but the as I described before, the University Officer Training Corps is scheduled around your academic career. So mm. a- academic timetable, sorry, or uh, a- annualized calendar. So you'd, you'd, you'd learn how to be a soldier uh, and then they develop you into being a leader mm. um, th- throughout, let's say, traditionally a, a three year degree. Mm. So year one is basic um, battlefield drills. So how to look after yourself in the field. Mm. Um, and prepare yourself and administrate yourself and uh, and then how to you know operate a weapon system in the direction of the enemy and perform as a platoon which involves the coordination of about 30 people um, split into three groups led by one person right. to, to, to defeat an enemy position it's a very traditional uh, maneuverist approach of military tactics okay. um, that's year one and then year two is the um, the theory of how to deliver that safely so uh, the, the the point of military activity is obviously to defeat the enemy, but you do that in a way to preserve life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in order to move across the ground, and it's really hard not to move all these cups around and these <laughs> 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 these desk bits without fearing audio problems. Um, but you, you learn the theory of how the army wishes you to make those tactical decisions. Okay. And there's something called the seven questions or the combat estimate, right? Um, which is quite a um, controlled process that the, the, the military needs you to regurgitate very well uh, and that's what year two is all about so this is kind of a standard it's not a standard if this happens do that but it's a standard way of thinking or approaching yes right yeah. so they want a level of control and methodology hmm. because um you need to uh do things in order to avoid um crossfire Mm. um we call it blue on blue but you you need to operate in such a way that avoids that and to to fundamentally ensure success um and then year three is doing the two things together so all your soldier skills and the the ability to look after yourself plus all the theory you've learned you then go out into the field with 30 of you and you rotate around um both being a supporting position like um rifle 
I'm going to say rifleman. I have a separate agenda about yeah, yeah. gender neutral pronouns, but yeah. we'll say rifleman for now. So you'll either be a, like a, a part of the section uh, in a firing team yeah. and then you'll rotate round to then be the platoon commander or the platoon sergeant, which involves a lot of all the um, ammunition or the medical recovery like actions. Yeah. Uh, so a platoon commander is typically the officer and then platoon sergeant looks after the actually makes the whole thing work because <laughs> wow. you, you need um we call it g4 in the army or in the military but it's the kind of ammunition supply chain food rations resources to get to where it needs to be brilliant um so yeah. during the so how long has your military service been um so it has quite literally been 2005 so i attested which is where you swear allegiance on the bible to mm. to the queen at the time mm. um and so yeah it's been been quite some some time so yeah. still current uh, absolutely yes yeah. um, and one of the best things about the reserve life um, is that as long as you communicate effectively what your plans are you can take time out of the army and come back into the army you mm. submit a leave of absence which involves a nice polite letter to your to your senior commander your mm. commanding officer um, and where I had the opportunity to travel with work so I spent six months in Vietnam and six months in Canada um, you just basically say I'm going to go away for a bit um this is when I'm coming back and this is why I'll return to service. That's brilliant. Yeah, so it's a great thing to have. Highlights, highlights from that. What, what do you think, I guess two questions, what do you think have been your biggest influences during that time and who has been your biggest influence during that time? I think I'll uh, steer that ever so slightly into one of the things I wanted to say in terms of the benefits of being in the military mm. that's kind of changed me a little bit and I'm mm. more acutely aware of it now so um, I uh, went through the first years of of the officer training corps uh, and I'd spent because of quite a long degree I'd done all the training and then I thought well I could either leave as an officer cadet or I could try and finish the job as it were mm. Um, because it's called the Officer Training Corps for a reason, and the intent is to get some students to Sandhurst. Um, I opted to to have a crack at Sandhurst, um, and I went in, uh, I think it must have been around 20, 2010, roughly. Okay. Um, so I'd, uh, to get to Sandhurst, you have to do this um, five-day exercise or something. It's like you go and live in the field for five days or five nights. It doesn't feel like much, but it, it's cheeky. It's meant to test you. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get through that. It's called Mod, mod 3. Some of the language has changed now, um, uh, but uh, yeah, mod, mod 3. And then you go and do Module 4 at Santa, so you get kind of verified by the um, centralised training, basically. Um, and I got through the, that Santa's element of it until the last... Uh, day where they all called us into this big room to let us know what this situation was with commissioning and they, my name got called out along with a couple of others and I got a kind of marched down this corridor and told some quite disappointing news <laughs> that after my years of getting to this point and the um and the uh the assessment process that I'd, I'd basically failed so I'd spent a further few weeks now having failed at Santurst and it, you can imagine the kind of deep drop mm. of uh failure I, I hate the army i hate the people around me you know why does this happen what's what went wrong that was all the emotion coming all out at the, the time. Yeah, I, hate, I hate the whole process i don't want to do this anymore and i had a big big old falling out 
and you realize after alignments of digestion and reflection you realize well actually it's not really the system is it or the people around you maybe you should look in the mirror <laughs> lara and maybe have a bit, bit of a think about why that might have happened mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that's where the reality kicked in of actually you do have quite a bad attitude actually you weren't much of a team player when you weren't in a leadership position actually you didn't pull your weight did you um were you just coasting until or were you just playing up to the fact that when you had to perform you did it then and did you really help the people around you and that was a full-on blow (laughs) to the the reality of you're not a leader unless you're a team player like you've it's called serve to lead for a reason and i did not exemplify those behaviors and i'm Although it was a, a proper kick, it's exactly what I needed to happen. And has that I, I been wish, quite a pivotal moment? Huge. Absolutely huge. Um, and I think um, that, yeah, it, it, it really was. I, I, um, it was a, a kind of a tough time, so it was a proper reset because I'd spent quite a lot of time in the, in the army up to that point. And yeah. I, it's, there was a long period of blaming others for ages like why didn't someone tell me I was like this or what it's fascinating what stopped you giving up (laughs) because of the belligerence to achieve um I just I didn't want to leave on that was that was it yeah Uh, you know after the kind of the healing process of bringing my ego back together (laughs) it was like oh well I've got to give this another go because why would I like I couldn't let it I couldn't let it drop. Right. I, I just came back to it. And so um, it's a big old slice of humble pie. I do love pie, but not that kind of pie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I tried again about a year or so later, which included running through that disgusting five-day exercise to get back into Santa. So there's a full like reset. Right, we're going back in again. Um, and we... Uh, we? Yeah. <laughs> Royal we, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I came back in and the yeah. second time round, I wasn't gleaming, but I knew what effort I needed to put in. And instead of squaring myself away and being in my room in the in the accommodation hall, um, just doing my own thing, I was out every night knowing what was going uh, I was too embarrassed to tell people I was there for a second time. Right. And I think this is the first time I've really publicly gone about <laughs> declaring this. Right. But I'm okay with it now because it's a really important lesson. Yeah. And I was um, helping just making a conscious effort to help people as much as possible yeah. because there's so much late night laminating. Yes. We love a laminated map in the army, um, <laughs> late night ironing, late night orders prep, all yeah. of that. And whilst I still wasn't perfect, I couldn't, sometimes who you are can't be just fixed in an instant, yeah. but I could recognize I was more aware of those behaviors. And so I could, where I could recognize it, I was like, right, chip in, help people get, get stuff moving. And I guess there was a bit of this as well, that, Failure here was not an option. Correct. So it's a case of you you go in, I guess what we call 110%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it changed my desire to finish that and was stronger than ever. And I was, instead of just being almost like kind of there by, I'll give this a go. I was there because I really wanted to be there. And the... uh, the scary bit was on when they called us into that room at the end of the commissioning process, my name got called out again. I was like, Oh God, like a proper, like heart dropping moment. And, um, I got sent down the same corridor to the, um, same room. Uh, I can't quite remember that. I think that had all just been rinsed from the memory of like, (laughs) 
<laughs> but similar kind of corridor down to the end of where the um, uh, the officer commanding would sit for the platoon. And um, I was kind of paraded in and made to stand up straight, you know, the usual and salute. And then he, he told me to stand at ease and then came and shook my hand and said, well done. We know you come back here and you've passed and oh, you'll be commissioning. Crazy. And it honestly was such a sense of, I've made it. We're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here. We're here. <laughs> And that is that that kind of life reset of, of and the way the army kind of breaks you down, builds you back up, and does it properly, has set me on the right stead to um, to come to where I am now. And I, I think I'm a possibly a better person, a better team player, and arguably a better leader for it. <laughs> so w- with all that happening now, with the um, with with the the military side, and you've you've kind of got your fingers and you've pulled yourself up, and you're now on that on that plateau. Yeah. I'm guessing there's some more hills to now climb. You know, the person that I see across the table from me is not someone who says, oh, we've arrived, that's it. So somewhere in here, the motorcycling must have appeared. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's what um, has probably been there throughout. So right right from that um, uh, uh, putting a bit of cardboard on the back of my bike to make noises, there has been a we'll go back to that golden thread thing, but that connection with bikes and probably that little bit of rebellion, you know, bikes can be associated with that sense of freedom and rebel yeah. attitude. Yeah. Um, but uh, they've always been there. And the more I think about it, the more blatant clarity that though that the freedom of two wheels has, has, has been there. Mm. Um, I, my parents will gladly recall that I ruined Christmas once because uh <laughs> I had my DT125 Yamaha two-stroke um, kind of dirt tracky bike um, yeah. co- confiscated because I'd found <laughs> one. I'd saved up for it by working in the co-op in Jersey. It was it was in terrible state of disrepair, um, just really bad. I could make a very long list of that. And I, it had been confiscated because I'd fallen off it, put a hole in my leg, got gangrene or early. <sighs> gang- yeah, I'd been hospitalized in an isolated ward and I was I was just needed to be back on my bike. And I'd broken into the garage using the only tools I had available, which was a still stiletto <laughs> like just a high heel thing that i just managed to chip away and get through the window and then escape on my bike with a knee that wouldn't bend it was i'm just it was very naughty but the desire to be on in my dad's word the damn thing <laughs> was, yeah. was uh was so strong um and i just love that sense of movement and freedom and feeling the, the, the picture <laughs> that you paint in the head here of being so desperate to get on the bike that you break in using the heel of a stiletto i mean it's odd odd you're driven th- that was it's so odd um yeah but I, I really am and that's even when i was at uni i didn't do i did a few evening jobs but that's why i worked for a, a company called scooter man which i think still operates in um in bristol right. um and that um, kind of got my fix when I couldn't have a big bike license. Right. So that's when you ride a you ride a small monkey bike to a client's car and then you put it in the car and you drive them home. That was the best student job ever. It was hilarious. Um, and then when I um, finally started working at, at Rolls Royce, after a few years I'd finished travelling and I'd already made the connection with we wear the right clothes for motorbiking. So there's a few awkward scars uh, mm-hmm. from not wearing the right clothes in the early two-stroke days. Um, and then buying my first bike. Um, right. And then the uh, I took it was a Honda CBR CBR six hundred F so like a sports tourer mm. and um, did a few road trips and then I took it on a track day around Mallory Park and then the instructor came round afterwards I still had a high vis vest they wanted me to wear that and I had the rack on the back for getting there with all my stuff 
And the chap that, that was looking at us at the end of the day was like, where did you learn to ride like that? I was like, um, I don't know. That's, that's how I ride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've watched some of the clips of you racing on, uh, on the interweb. And it's insane. I mean, to see you coming out of some of the corners with your front wheel off the ground. <laughs> I mean, tell, tell me about that. I mean, what on <laughs> earth is going through your head when you're doing that? Just deep joy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> deep, deep joy. Um, so I think the, the, um, the, the stuff you might have seen recently would be my latest um, uh, racing, my last racing weekend at Cadwell Park. Mm. So uh, there's a, a corner called... Well, it's called the mountain. It's not really a mountain because we would perceive a mountain being a mountain, but it's yeah. a, it's one that allows a jump to happen. And if you watch any of the BSB riders, they are fully launching themselves off it. And you've been around Cadwell probably, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, the, uh, the 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 bike I was racing recently is a um, a Kramer Evo six ninety. Right. Um, so it's just big six ninety displacement single. Yeah. And it's it's very light. And um, so when you get the, the, your apex is right prior to the jump, the front wheel crests and rises beautifully and you just hold the power and then just let it drop before you whack on the brakes into hall bends. There's, there's something. Um, so I've, I spent a bit of time around a few racing drivers and watching you describe that there is a thing and you can kind of tell the drivers who are at one with it by the way that you actually just went through all the motions in front of me here. Of, Stunted of that court. slightly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Of, of your Venn diagrams, which one makes you smile the most? Uh, okay, so there's, yeah, I've got to be honest. There's, I think I'm going to give myself a little bit of leniency in this answer. Mm. There's a, there's a, the joyous, genuine smile of racing it's got it's got to be motorbikes it's got to be that connection and the mm. sense of achievement of coming back off a race and the recollecting the battles you've had where you've been quite literally like shoulder to shoulder with someone about 120 miles an hour chasing for the same bit of tarmac and that apex like that's a phenomenal thrill and the joy and the joy is the the joy is in the race or the winning great question i think um i've had a um, a culmination in the taste of winning quite recently. So though I sit in front of you now with a slightly torn shoulder, um, I won every race that I, I turned up to. And that has taken many years to get to that point of riding very capably to yeah. turn up to a race weekend and, and beat everyone. Yeah. And that has felt great. But I, I think I've... the there are certain races where you can be mid pack or the back of the pack or, and you're just battling for space with someone that I think also is, has been a brilliant achievement. And I think if I really reflect on, it wasn't getting over the line that was the best bit. It was the argy bargy in between <laughs> that led to the best memories, whether you're just overtaking someone down craning curves or um, fighting for space at the top of Hollywood, like, well, I'm not giving up, but you're going to give up. Like, are we going for this? <laughs> and I can still see him there. Like, yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to take this bit if that's all right. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, brilliant. So it's, it's the thrill of it. It's the thrill of it. And, and you can tell, I mean, you, you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely it. lighting up with it. And the way you're even glancing across to that, you know, the, the, the bike that's, that's next to you, that, that process. Yeah. And, and I guess this is the thing. There are a lot of people who race in lots of different categories. Yeah. There aren't many people who win. Therefore, mm-hmm. there has to be a reason that you do it. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, hence, you know, the curiosity about, you know, what, what's the, the, the biggest, I mean, clearly winning it has to be satisfaction, but to enjoy the process, to enjoy the yeah. race. I'll say it slightly caveated. I don't go in a race just to participate mm-hmm. and you've got to pick the right race. It's very much horses for courses, mm-hmm. wherever that etymology has come from. But there are, there have been racing championships where the likelihood of me ever being at the front is slim to none. Hmm. Um, and I didn't have so much of a connection with that. It's a when you try and you never really go out to win a championship. To win a championship, you have to have started about five years ago, <laughs> because yeah. racecraft and learning has to happen hmm. to get to that point. Which is why I'm so grateful for the recent tastes of winning. Yeah. Um, because it, I mean, and you know all about this about the mental attitude. Hmm. But you have to think like a winner. Uh, it that matters. Yeah. To get there, and there's, yeah. there's so much conscientious choice that has to go into what winners think about and you there's a yeah again a yeah, much further I mean, debate we, we could have a, a yeah. whole but series I, on the, the the power of the mind in yes. that in that space yeah yeah uh, that that's really interesting and, and that is this i guess i'd put it you know you you put on your um you put on your race head yeah. don't you you know and, and whatever that is whether that's a meeting at work whether that's about to go and engage an enemy whether that's about to go and you know, race around a, a circuit. Uh, I think we all have a process that we have to yep. get into, don't we? And get in the way at your peril. Yeah. So, um, Lara Moto, then. Yes. So you are Lara Moto um, on on socials. So, what's that? How did that come about? Where Where's that going? Oh, thanks for asking that one. Actually, um, so there's a there's a hark back to the um, uh, the my Rolls Royce career, because it, uh, it's one of the things I wanted to reflect on, but Rolls Royce is a brilliant company. Like I genuinely would not hesitate in recommending it to anyone. It's a fantastic company and what it does, it achieves and, and, um, it's, and the products it makes. But like any big company or any company, in fact, you can lose yourself in hours um, and commitment to the task in hand. But it's so easy to start overtiming yourself and creeping into um, a level of work that you probably can't sustain. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, we we come addicted to a bit of overtime culture mm-hmm. and you, you you end up punching so many hours in the week. And by the time you realize it's probably a bit too late. And then you come back to that Venn diagram and actually one big bubble is eating all the other bubbles for breakfast yeah and you've lost your hobbies your time your family all of that and then you become not you correct yeah yeah so there was a snap and there's a snap where um and it's not again if the army lesson has taught me anything it's not the company's fault like you have to take accountability for your own actions and decision making Mm. you can stop sending that email you can stop working those ridiculous hours i like i don't want to make a take away the fact that being focused on a mission or achievement or objective or deliverable needs a discretionary amount of time to get the job done that's important that's what we sign up for um and that's what i'm grateful for and the surgeons that managed to fit me in last (laughs) few days ago Mm. because they discretionally went above and beyond to get me fixed like that's 
awesome. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for human nature in doing that. But there's times when you just got to stop. Yeah. And I let it go too far, too far, too far to the point where I went to the doctors and just couldn't stop crying. Right. I was sat in front of the doctor like he he was like, you probably should take some time off work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally just couldn't. It was it just reached breaking point. Yeah. And I hadn't really told anyone I was doing that many ridiculous hours. Mm. Um, and my boss was surprised. He's like, oh, OK. <laughs> And it's not his fault because although I would have, it would have been nicer. And I think in a more mental, mentally awareness um, time that we're in now, we can spot certain trigger symptoms in everyone. Um, but uh, it got signed off and um, just stayed at home for a bit and yeah. let that decompression happen. And that's when um, I think I went on a motorbike holiday. So um, I've got an amazing group of mates at work and they took me out to the Pyrenees on my Ducati Supersport and I was out enjoying some twists up the side of these mountains. I was like, this is you. Like, you, right. you're very proud of your career, your degree, your engineering, your, all the stuff you've worked for. This is, But this is you. And I, I was like, I've, I've got to do more of this. <laughs> like, how do I spend yeah. more time on a bike? And I, on, in, within that holiday period, which is why it's so good to take holidays and take time away from work because you get the time for your brain to go, oh, there's other stuff. <laughs> Not just another email. There's other stuff you can enjoy in this world that we have a limited lifetime on. <laughs> I forget whose quote it was, but it's something like, you know, the greatest things in the world were conceived in moments of silence. Yeah. So we have to create those. Exactly. Um, and, and my moment of silence was arguably listening to the the, the, the throb of a V-twin <laughs> up a Pyrenees mountainside. But um, it's an L-twin, actually, but a separate story. <laughs> uh, I came back and I'd made a logo on the ferry of what my brand was going to be and what I was going to do. Right. All in that holiday. Uh, and I had uh, and then I made like Laramoto happened Um and I went to Fowler's in Bristol right? and I, I, I went to meet them. And I said, I've got nothing. I, I really like riding bikes. Here's a YouTube channel I've made, nothing in it. Please can I ride your bikes and talk about them on camera? And so every weekend I was taking bikes out of from Fowler's, riding them, talking some stuff about them and then giving them back. And they, they were so good. The Fowler's team were like, yeah, sound. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you have a go. And that was the first kind of, that journey of just ask for it what, yeah. what what are you waiting for go and ask go and do the thing because what's the worst could happen say no okay fine i'll go to another dealer then and like, brilliant and and that created la remota and that created the youtube um progress hmm. and whilst i haven't done too much on it recently it gave me an outlet to um almost like early that legacy you and i were talking about yeah. it was like i'm making a thing yeah <laughs> yeah and it is it's, it's, it might be a mediocre thing but it's a thing and it's, it's mine thing. yeah yeah and was i spending more time on bikes was i feeling happier at work because i had an agenda outside of work yes so that so that big old blue chip bubble had just shrunk ever so slightly and the motorbike bubble was was getting bigger so the, that that venn diagram if it was a stall had suddenly become a bit more balanced again yes love a three-legged stall of yeah. rest and play yeah there you go <laughs> yeah um and just to finish off like ever so slightly because i ended up um, becoming more confident in front of the camera and I can ride, I'm going to say exceptionally well. I, I'm a very good motorbike rider, injury slightly outside of this, but that's the, the joys of this sport. Yeah. Um, I ended up bit getting picked up by um, two 
motorbike production companies, TV production companies. Right. One's called Motorbike TV, which is a kind of a growing show. But I was in a show last year with Charlie Borman. Um, worth looking to Motorbike TV. It's run by Tom Woodrow. He's right. based in... Um, uh, I say based in Wales, really be more specific, Lara. So get back to me on that one. <laughs> um, but I ended up recording a series with him um, and his team. And then I also got picked up by Bike World, which is a worldwide TV and YouTube production company. Wow. Um, because of I started that little thing four years ago and just said yes to stuff. And that's, that's where amazing. it gets you. Um, because And now I have been able to blend that Venn diagram into what I truly love, which is basically getting paid to ride a bike in front of a camera and talk about it. Fantastic. <laughs> because I had that breakdown moment there. Yeah. The recalibration. <laughs> the recalibration. Uh, and yeah. so then reset and go, you love this. <laughs> Keep doing it. And we got to here. And so you've only just begun then. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what I'm so excited about because yeah. in the, also in the addition of finding a better balance in life. And again, why I think, certain companies are just brilliant is that I've asked for a reduction in hours so I can mm. push a four day week agenda and just pull that balance back in of I can probably do journalism on that spare day I can probably do something with my bike world and just challenging the norm of yeah. not Monday to Friday it's now Monday Tuesday Wednesday off Thursday Friday I'm going to see where that takes me and then that might just I'm really excited to explore what's going to happen next for sure I, I am too and um, I mean I we we could we could go on and on. I could talk to you for for, yeah. for ages here. Um, you you must come back and and tell us how it's going as well. I'd love to. Yeah. Love to. Um, I know we are a, a little over time, but I want to just keep going a little bit because there's a couple of other things I just want to just explore. So, um, so the question is, you know, where does Lara Moto go next? If you if you just glance into the future, um, because understanding where you are, you clearly do glance into the future. Yeah, you 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 don't do no hills. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the what what's the next plateau? What's the next climb that you've got? What what does that what does that look like? So there's a level of um um I, I don't think okay, I'll vis, I visualize it a little bit. Hmm. Um I if I was going to describe it it would be a presenter on top gear roughly. Right. Um I know there's what Top Gear is, is has changed ever so slightly, but if you're going to kind of do that, that would that would be that would, that would bring a definition to what I could could what I'd like to do. Yeah. But the reality is that's already kind of happening. I want a motorbike program which does the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it might not be as prime time as Top Gear is, but yeah. I'm basically presenting riding bikes. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that that's happening. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to just keep saying yes to to it and what yeah. what that means. Um, but the, uh, to, to balance it ever so slightly, uh, there's uh, what I do with Rolls Royce. I work in I work in nuclear, and we have a very very strong mission purpose in what we achieve and we deliver every day. Mm. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I, I work for that company, and so I see a sense of a sense of balance. Yeah. Because um, motorbiking motorbiking for all of its benefits you are a very vulnerable passenger sometimes mm. and i sit here in front of you showing a vulnerability um where someone crashed in front of me and i'm you know a, yeah. i've had to have surgery to get that fixed and so there's a there's a common sense approach of where i wish to balance my career just as much as my bike career yeah. we'll see what happens yeah but there's you know it's important to have something to I'm going to say anxiously say fall back on, 
but that blue that baseline of don't of of my career is really important i've worked really hard to get there so i want to say yes to stuff but i want to do it in balance with the academia and the, the education and the engineering and keeping that store balanced yes i think that's what it is because yeah. uh so that that's really important so what happens next i'm going to say keep saying yes and i I'd love to say there was a particular agenda. I'm just going to keep having fun, Ian, because that that if I really add too much of a mission to it, it takes away the what is the hobby. I just want to keep enjoying having fun on a bike. That yeah. that's great to keep having fun at whatever it is you're doing, and that's brilliant. Yeah. And I suppose I mean you mentioned Charlie Borman. I suppose you've got some catching up to do because I think he's um, he's broken quite a lot of his body, isn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, but I've, I've spotted um, what the MotoGP riders now and I'm uh, what they wear in terms of airbag protection, which is shoulder, chest, hips, ch- uh, back, coccyx, the works, and I'm not riding without one anymore. I must admit, I was, I was again, you don't know what you don't know, do you? And when I saw some of your content about the suits and suits with airbags in, like, wow. I mm. mean, it's so obvious when you think about it, yep. but I'd never even thought about yep. it. So, uh... so this is a, these are my leathers. So these are the, these are the knackered leathers that um, I crashed in at Cadwell Park. It's actually two sets. And there's um, a brilliant lady called Ali Bond Ashton on Facebook. And I sent her my, my leathers. And I now have a mega bag of a lifetime. That's amazing. Uh, which is included. I wish I could point to it a bit better. But there's even a zip in my in the back hump um, for, for some essential Oh, I can see it. So items. that, that yeah. bit there. Yeah, for those of you who are listening rather than watching, this won't yeah. make a lot of sense, but uh, Lara's holding up what looked like a large sports holder, which is made from her race overalls. And yep. the bit we're looking at is, it's the bit that sits between the shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the and, there's a, and there's a zip in the side so of it. So she's put, like, for essentials, it's fully lined with someone else's jeans, I think. Um, and that, to me, I just... I haven't even put it away. I just love looking at it because it just harbors so many memories. And I've these leathers have seen plenty of action and I'm, I just love it. I had to bring it. So she just turns leathers into mega memories of bag. And that's just recycling because really what leathers don't really wash. They stand up by themselves after a while anyway. Yeah. So it's just great to have it's it. It's amazing. Have that's it great. Reused. Yeah. I'm and glad I've, you brought that. That's, that's good. What a story. Yeah. Um, and also there's some disc brakes um, that I've made into a clock that's gone onto the wall of my um, in my kitchen. So there's some, some uh, wavy disc brakes that you can articulate, articulate. You can tell the time on. I put a clock in the middle and then it just loves using stuff like that. Um, so um, two last questions. Okay. Um, so um, let me just first of all go for... Um, on this series, we've been asking people to leave a question for subsequent guests. So the one, I've actually changed my mind as we've talked on which one I'm going to um, ask you. So I'm going to go for this one, which is, have you discovered any practices that have helped you stay more focused and present in your daily life? Yes. Yes, I have. So uh, I think the, I've, I've always written it in my like, um, uh, sometimes at the start of every year, I write like your goals for the year. I just do write something down. Mm. And it's always been like, meditate more, do yoga more. And it never really happens. <laughs> I mm. Kind of go out with a good intention. And so I've realized that there's, you've got to, you've got to make time in those margins to, to, to make a difference. So now, um, whenever there might be opportunity to wait for something to happen, 
I decide to reflect in that moment. One of them is refueling the car. An odd, scent. <laughs> not not quite modern anymore, but I've got a big old Mercedes V8, which I love very much. But And it takes a while to fuel it, right. you know. And yeah. instead of going, oh, taking ages, like just watching the price go up on the pump, I stop and I, um, I just squeeze the pump lever and I just smell and just enjoy being there. I know I'm in a garage forecourt, but I just go, what are you great? It sounds a bit fluffy, but I'm like, I'm really grateful to have this car. I can waft the smell of the fuel going in. I can feel it through my arm and I try and be present. That's in, amazing. In those little moments yeah. of gratitude. I think that's so powerful. Something which uh, I guess I've really learned over the last two years, two, possibly three, is that we have this image, don't we, that, you know, meditation is about joysticks, beanbags. And, but it's, it's I mean, it, it can be if that's your thing, but it can be those moments of just being present in the moment. Yep. You know, while you're in the shower, while you're fill in the car I mean that's, that's great it's the first time I've heard but I mean it's a big tank that's that's a good it's a good couple of minutes or so isn't it but yeah making that space I think is really that's brilliant and I'm really glad that uh, that you've shared that because um, yeah it doesn't have to be 20 minutes set on a yoga mat no it's just that little bit of mental fitness um, my final question for you is if we could conquer time travel you know the question if you could write yourself uh, a letter for the younger Lara to find, what would you say in it now and what you know now? So the first thing I would like to tell younger Lara is is thank you. <laughs> Seems a bit odd, I know. But I don't think she knew what she was working towards. But um, she embarked on a journey that has led to a position where I can capitalize on those three bubbles so i've engineering degrees aren't easy mm. i found it particularly hard because i didn't have a natural affinity with some of the more physical sciences yeah engineering sciences and i i put my heart and soul into that degree and that was the first lesson of i don't know why i did it but i just knew i had to do that and that was the gateway to that career at roles and the the mission i went on and that's led to me a to a position where I get to race around in a circle, which costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> There's one only way to be a millionaire in racing, and that's to start off as a billionaire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful. She, she didn't know what she was doing, but she knew that those kind of, um, kind of slightly institu institutionalized career goals of that shall finish uni, that shall get a good job, that shall get chartered. I'm I'm grateful that she did that. Yeah. Because it's got to me this position now where I can be more enlightened <laughs> with what else you could do. So I'm, the foundation that she gave me, I never really th thought myself as a third person, but seeing as you've given me the privilege of a letter. Yeah. Um, but also the other one is, why could you just not be kind to yourself? There's so much right. mental abuse that you give yourself. I just, I wish that could stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Just... Like, be kind. <laughs> and we do, don't we? Yeah. You are your own worst critic. And in a way, it's something to celebrate because it keeps you pushing harder and further and pushing that limit. Um, and the third one is, um, cold tyres, Lara, respect them. <laughs> 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 Don't mess around. <laughs> yeah. 
speaks the voice of wisdom. Yeah. Oh, so that is so, that's the injury yeah. there. So there's, um, a, let's say, a quarter missing off the end of my left uh, middle, left little finger. So now I can only count to nine and three quarters. Right. Um, uh, and I can, <laughs> yeah, I get 10% off nail varnish. It's pretty good. Right. <laughs> but I have to show you one other thing. Um which you have to kind of guess which character I'm portraying as a result of my injury is f- found in Scotland, uh, often in a lake profile. Oh, it's Nessie. Oh, my <laughs> word. So um, if this, again, you, this won't make any sense, but Lara is showing um, it's a, her injured hand behind a sheet of paper and it looks like the profile um, of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Exactly. So Fantastic. there we are. Cold tires. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Lara, it's been a joy. Thank you ever so much. And... Well, I don't need to wish you all the best. Wish you will keep climbing mountains. Um, but uh, yeah, come and share the progress with us. I'd really love to, Ian. Thank you for having me on. Super. Thank you. So that has been One Thought at a Time uh, with our guest this time, uh, Lara Small. And if you have been, thanks for listening.